Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Bet you weren't expecting to see me. (laughs) And I know what you're thinking. Wasn't that guy just wearing a different shirt? (laughs) He didn't look that good about 10 minutes ago. But, as you may see, usually I'm like dripping sweat, like crazy. When I'm I'm, uh, playing guitar, I can't help it. I'm just jumping around. It's it's what I do. I I would say Spirit of the Lord, but I don't want to, I just want to, that's just, it's me mostly too, right? I just, that's what I do. I don't know, I just jump around. I'm kind of a nut. You can ask Brittany about that. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I just want to say I'm, feel honored to be here this morning, uh, to be asked to speak God's word and to be able to share with you some of the things that I've got to learn and dig into. And when you go through something like this where you're spending a lot of time, whether you're researching something in, you know, secular knowledge or world or digging into the Bible, you spend a lot of time and you learn a lot and you grow through that process. And uh, I guarantee you I learned a lot more than you guys are going to learn this morning because I spent hours on it. You guys are just going to hear me talk about it for 45 minutes. So I encourage you that we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. And it would be a good idea for you guys to read what we don't cover and just reread what we do cover because we're on this journey together through the Bible. It's a three-year journey and uh, it's a pretty thick book, right? Like to do that in three years and to expand on all the stories in there. Like this morning, I'm tasked with telling you about Saul, and Saul rejects, or God rejects Saul. And we've been talking about Samuel a lot lately, about families, uh, the connectivity in that. And now we're going to move on to a whole new character. It hasn't been introduced at all. And so it's going to be brand new to us. And I don't want you to just come into Saul thinking, well, God rejected him, and we're so quick to vilify what, uh, what Saul is and what we look at, and we know what his end result is. Most of us who have been going to church sermons for a while have heard about him. He's basically, you know, David's nemesis, David's foil. But he had an origin story, too. He had a beginning, and uh, it's kind of something to say. I think sometimes we have a lot more in common with Saul than we do with David. Saul is kind of an, an everyman. He, he was a man of action. He was a practical thinker. He came from humble beginnings, and he wanted to do what was right. But we're going to look at, did he do what was right for him and his peop- for the people, or do, did he do what was right in the sight of God? And uh, those things aren't the same. Doing what's right for God is not serving people all the time, pleasing people, pleasing, giving into what they ask, what their needs are. We need to wait on the Lord for direction. And taking action is a good virtue and something that we should, uh, that's qualities about myself that I like. I'm a bit of a control freak. I should, maybe I shouldn't say I like that, but I like having things laid out in a certain order. And a lot of people enjoy having control and practicality and thinking logically. But there's a time when you have to wait for something to come. And you can't just jump in head first, right? Now, I was talking to uh, a few people we're all kind of preparing sermons together, a few of us, and how different this one is. It's like 
Last time I preached last summer, it was about a year ago. Some of you might have been here. There's way more people here this time, so. But, <laughs> but uh, it's so different. I was reading from Revelation. It was about things that hadn't happened yet, um, about God on his throne, and a lot of things that is interpretive. And this morning is going to be so much different because we've got this large span of scripture, which is basically a narrative, and it's basically in, in three acts. You know, I, I guess I could compare it to, I don't, I'm not even a Star Wars fan, but I could compare it to Star Wars. It's like, anybody see the Star Wars prequels, like, or uh, Anakin Skywalker and all that? So, you know, you've got your, your humble beginnings, and then you've got the, the Clone Wars, and then you've got the, the, the fall, right? And Saul's kind of like that. We're going to learn about his beginnings, and then we're going to learn about time when he was in war, and then we're going to learn about what his fall was. He's a lot like Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> a little bit, right? And then uh, what did I, I had a little comparison. So Saul's Anakin Skywalker, Samuel is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Saul's servant is Jar Jar Binks. So. <laughs> Anyways, but the point that I want to kind of carry us through as we go through this is about how we're like Saul, and Saul was a leader, and as a Christian, we are all leaders. Steve's been talking about that a lot. And we all have a certain level of responsibility to lead people somewhere, whether we're a father. Happy Father's Day, by the way. I know it's been said a bunch of times, but from me, happy Father's Day. Um, so we're leading people that way. We're leading people in our friend circles. Uh, we're leading people in workplaces. Uh, and hopefully we're leading people into a relationship with God. So... In our time of life, we're going to have times that are difficult, critical decision-makings, and our responses to those experiences is what shows our mettle, shows what we're made of, shows where our heart lies. So I just ask you to think, before you vilify Saul, think about where he came from, and think about what you might do in his situation and the responses that he had, right? So when I think of great leaders, I think of David, I think of Moses, I think of Solomon, Samuel, that we've been talking about, but does Saul come into that list? Uh, not usually mentioned a whole lot after his um, tyrannical end. <laughs> so, although he started off good, he probably is not in the history books further on in reference to a lot for a reason. We're going to find out about that. Okay? So, I talked about how Saul is relatable to us. Now, we're going to be talking about um, a transition here. So, right now, Israel is under judges and a prophet, and we're going to go into more of a kingship. And this is a big change for Israel. They've been years, since the dawn of their beginning, since Abraham, there's this tribal system, um, or since, you know, the sons, the 12 tribes, and now they want to be like the other tribes. They want to be like... The, we want to have a king over us, is what they say. So let's dive a little bit into the scripture. And we're going to start in 1 Samuel, chapter 8. And this is Act 1 of Saul. I wanted to give it a cool title, so I was like, From Humble Beginnings. Right. I don't know if they really made a movie about Saul. I know they kind of had it in the, uh, the well, I guess Star Wars maybe is based off it. <laughs> so, let's get this story started. 
1 Samuel 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his firstborn. Oh, no, wait. He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Saul at Ramah. And they said to him, or Samuel, I'm probably going to do that a lot, but mix up Samuel and Saul. So they came to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to the people and what they're saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. The Lord is saying they've rejected me as their king. And they've done that from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods. So they're doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will reign over them and what that will do. So this isn't the first time that this has been alluded to, that Israel is going to move into this kingship territory. In Deuteronomy 17, I believe, yep, Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20, there's kind of a, a, a prophecy in there where it talks about how Israel is going to ask for a king, and they're going to want, but it starts with warnings of saying that the king, you know, it's, he's going to require you, he's going to take your children for workers, he's going to take your bakers so he can bake his food, he's going to take, you know, a, a certain amount of your horses and your chariots, and, you know, if you want a king, this is what you're going to get. You're going to have to, you're already sacrificing and tithing to God. Well, you're going to have to tithe to a king, too. And it's going to all come out of your pocket. It's all going to come out of your goods. I hope you realize what you're asking for. But they already had a king. They were given to God. And, uh, but they wanted to be like the other nations. It actually mentions that in 1 Samuel 8 several times. I read it once, and it also says it further into uh, verse 19 and 20. It says, we want to be like other nations. And cultural influence is strong, you know, to conform to what's going on. You know, you feel like you're a bit of in disarray or chaos if you don't have that structure. You know, if, if I don't have a good boss or a good leader, you know, what do we do? Who do we, who do we have to complain to, right? Do I complain to God? Well, he's not talking back to me, so I need somebody that's going to hear my Hear my woe. That's why we have spouses, right? <laughs> but we need somebody to, it's that desire that we see around us. Everybody's got somebody. And people don't, if they're not seeking after God, they're not going to be fulfilled by a leader that's not tangibly in front of them. And so they were kind of caught up in this need for a king. And like I said, it wasn't, wasn't anything new. It was something that was happening and alluded to up until this point, right? So they really wanted to have that happen. And Samuel saw it was evil. And I think Samuel was probably a little bit put off too because he had two sons there. You know, why wouldn't he just succession kind of plan that way? But Israel didn't like what they saw. Samuel was a, a very noble and honest man. And they need somebody appointed by Sam, appointed like Samuel. And that's what they were looking for because they knew Samuel was getting old and his sons were just not the cream of the crop. So the, uh, the head hunting had to begin. So then it goes on. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but Samuel warns them and he kind of 
like, like I mentioned in Deuteronomy, he goes through the list of the king is going to take your horses and your bakers and your candlestick makers, and he's going to put them to work, right? So they ask for the king. Be careful what you wish for, right? So we're going to move on to the next chapter of the story. And it's 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And this is pay close attention because this is the origin of where Saul is introduced in the scene. Chapter 9, verse 1. There was a Benjamite, Benjamin, no, yeah, Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the Ephia of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha. But they did not find them. They went into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father's going to stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Saul's a pretty thoughtful guy. He doesn't want his father to worry about him, right? But the servant replied, Look, in the town there's a man of God. He is highly respected in everything he comes or everybody he's, everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way. Maybe he can help us find these donkeys. Okay. Tell us the way, right? Way to take, yeah. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? Okay, Saul's thoughtful. Doesn't want his father to worry. But he gets convinced that to go see this man of God... Again, thoughtful, we don't have a gift to give this guy. We can't just go empty-handed. You know, we got to have some etiquette here. So I kind of like where his head's at with that. So the servant answered him again, look, here, look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. And then formally, it says here, formerly in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, come, let us go see, go to the seer, because the prophet of today would be called a seer, okay? So we get to learn a little bit about Saul, where he came from, some of his attributes. When I said I was a lot like Saul, I didn't mean like I was the tallest guy in the land and I was handsome and all that stuff, but it says that about Saul. (laughs) But no, like really, like if you're looking for a king and a leader, what do you want? You want like a big, strong, tough guy who's going to fight your battles and he's handsome, everybody likes him and And he's thoughtful. You know, he's checking all the right boxes here. So Saul's looking pretty good. So this is where, you know, he's still looking all right. I I don't want to kind of over-inform you guys too much, but just give you an idea of what he was like, right? It doesn't go into great detail, but what we're seeing so far, he's he's thoughtful, he's humble. Um, It talks about he's a Benjamite. So... Benjamite is from the tribe of Benjamin, and they have a bit of a checkered past. We didn't get into it so much with um, the last little bit in Judges, because like I said, this three-year journey through the Bible, you kind of got to pick and choose what you want to focus on. But the tribe of Benjamin is the smallest 
tribe, and it's the smallest tribe for a reason because there was something that went down where um, it was pretty criminal, and uh, some Benjamites kind of, well, they kind of like raped this person in the streets. It was not good, and so all of Israel came up against them and struck them down and said, you can't marry other people in Israel, basically dwindling down the tribe to a small a small number. So being from the tribe of Benjamin, he, this is an underdog story, right? But who doesn't like a good underdog story? So I'm, at this point, I think if we're reading it for the first time, we're still kind of on Saul's side. He's looking pretty good. Now later on in the chapter, I'm not going to read it through, but Saul does come and he sees Samuel. And Samuel gets indication, okay, that this is the guy that God has sent to me. And so he pulls Saul aside and he says, you know, come with me and bring your servants as well. So they go and then Saul walks into the room and all of a sudden he's a guest of honor at this big feast, this big party. So he comes looking for donkeys and all of a sudden he's getting wined and dined by the finest, given the biggest uh, cut of meat. And um, he has no idea what's going on. He's just like, I, you're, you're walking in and you're the guest of honor. It's kind of it's kind of odd. But at verse 27, it says, uh, no, yeah, verse 27, as they were going down to the edge of town after this feast, Samuel said to Saul, tell your servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here a while, so I may give you a message from God. So the in-between part is, is them having a meal together. Um, he's, and at this point, he'd been told, your donkeys are fine. They're going to go home. It's, you just hang out with me for a little bit. And, uh, I wanna talk, and now he's, Samuel's taking stall aside. I want to talk to you alone. I've got something to say to you, right? So we lo- and then we carry on in the first. You guys still tracking with me? You still following along? good. It's eight chapters here. Like I said, last time I preached, it was two chapters. This is eight chapters. I want to make sure you guys get a good background of what's going on. So 1 Samuel 10, or yes, 1 Samuel 10, he, Samuel has now got Saul alone. He can have the talk with him, right? Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance. Okay, so it went from being wined and dined to being anointed with God's inheritance. Saul knows what that means. He knows that the people have been asking for a king. And uh, he's, I'm sure he's still in disbelief, but he's been anointed now. So Samuel has poured oil over his head. And if anointed is a word that we don't hear a lot today. Anointed literally just means to put oil on. So if you anoint someone, you put oil on them. It's not, there's not a magical interaction that happens. Sometimes when you think about anointing, it's like, oh, he was anointed. So, you know, he's been imbued with power. Or at least that's what I thought. Maybe I was totally off. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks like that. But anointing kind of sounded like a powerful kind of like infusing word. But it just means he had oil put on him and he was... Uh, he was set aside, right? So it's, it's, it's a marking. It's a, it's a gesture. So Samuel, Saul has been anointed. It is a big deal, right? So has not the Lord anointed you as leader over his inheritance? Okay. 
When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you and is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats and another three loaves of bread and another a skin of wine. And they're going to greet you and offer you two loaves of bread when you will accept them. Okay? So after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes. A musical procession, basically. Guys just... Singing and dancing. And they will be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. That probably woke them up. And you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do. For God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. And I will surely come down to you to sacrifice, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. And as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became, it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. So, that has the potential to be like a transformative experience. Have you ever had the Spirit of God rush over you? Crickets. <laughs> The Spirit of God lives in us. If we're believers, we, we have the Spirit of God with us. Have you had it rush over you? A feeling of amazing. God, this is a transformative moment. You know, sometimes like when you go to a conference or a great community or you're singing or praising, like the one conference, so many of the youth came back from that and they were saying, man, they could really feel the Spirit of God. Man, that was powerful. I'd like to put that in a bottle, I'd like to capture that, I'd like to be able to invoke that again. The Spirit of God is an amazing and a powerful thing. But let's not mistake that the Spirit of God rushing over us is God working through us. It's not necessarily our heart seeking after God. You know, God works in everybody's lives. He works in the lives of believers and unbelievers. And uh, His Spirit will do what it pleases. But it doesn't mean that you're going to be permanently changed from that. And it did say, it says in there that God changed Saul's heart. But maintaining change is kind of a funny thing. It's, if you want to build a habit, like you want to exercise so many days a week or hours a week, or you want to, you know, quit eating junk food. That kind of goes together, I guess. If you do both those things, it'd be good. But sticking to that change, you know, sometimes you get really motivated and really inspired to do something, and then 
week or two later, you're just, you're just who you always were again. You're just, you go back into default mode. And so I just want to stress the point that the Spirit of God rushed over Saul is not this kind of miracle cure that fixed his life. This was a moment in Saul's life where God used him and worked, right? And so the Spirit of God rushed over him and he prophesied. And prophesied is basically, it can mean a number of things. It can be singing and praising or it can be just speaking the truth or speaking what, if, what's to come and it comes true. So there's a lot of different ways to use the word, but Saul was prophesying, okay? Oh, yeah, and uh, I wanted to read this next part here. So now Saul's uncle, this is 14 to 16. Now Saul's uncle asked him, Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? And Saul answers, I'm looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw that they had not, were not found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. But Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Isn't that kind of funny that he didn't want to bring that up? He'd been anointed king. He'd been dancing like a Christian. <laughs> That's a good thing, by the way, I think. But he... Uh, I'm just going to put my papers I'm not using down there. And uh, this, this transformative experience, but he didn't, he didn't want to mention it to his family. Usually when you have a big life event or something, like, yeah, I got a big promotion, or what happened to you at work today? Oh, nothing. You know, it could have been like the best day of your life, and it's like you said nothing. I guess maybe that was Saul's, that, that's, that's the typical man coming out in Saul. How's your day, honey? That was good. <laughs> the donkeys are fine, so it's fine had this life-changing experience now that didn't come up right so it's just it's kind of funny so after this Saul's kind of making his mark or or yeah so God is working through Saul and uh he's showing them that this is this is the king that they've been asking for or he's giving them glimpses because uh, Saul is prophesying and uh the spirit of the Lord he was a changed man the people were saying that you know who is this is Saul one of the prophets now he went from being one of the unknown from Benjamin to being one of the prophets in the high place. That's just not a title that just happens like that. That's, you, have to, you have to do something that people are like, whoa, that's, his life changed, right? And so the rest of the chapter, uh, Samuel calls together the tribes and tells them again, reminding them that, you know, God doesn't forget asking for this king was an evil thing. God can work in any situation. He will, he will make things happen. But asking for a king was an evil thing in the first place. So he goes through and reminds them again of what a king is going to do. And, um, and then we get into Saul's coronation. And I'm not going to read through it, but it's basically they go through this process of casting lots. And then, you know, it comes up. Uh, they have all the tribes together. And... It's almost like a bit of a lottery, I guess. And then the tribe of Benjamin is picked, and Saul is picked. And so it's like, okay, yeah, where's Saul? He's not here. <laughs> so they go looking for him. He's hiding in the supplies. <laughs> it's weird. It's, uh, I'll just, what uh, verse was it now? Yes, uh, what was it? 
22. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? So they're looking for Saul. And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So they ran out and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than everybody else. And he said, don't, and then Samuel says, don't you see the Lord that the man has chosen for you, right? And the people said, long live the king. Why was he hiding in the supplies? That's an odd thing to do. Uh, there, there's two ways that I, when I, when I prepare for preaching, I try not to look up too many commentaries and people's opinions. I kind of want to like read something about 50 times and decide for myself what God's trying to tell me through this. And so maybe somebody's figured it out, but I see it two, two ways for hiding in the supplies. One, he was hesitating. Like he's this guy who came from nothing and he's going to be made king. And he doesn't know what to do, so he's hiding away. Maybe, maybe if I just hide, they'll all forget about it type of thing. And I don't have to be responsible. The other thing, I don't know, Saul, Saul kind of shows a little bit of pride and stuff later. So I don't know, maybe he's hiding for dramatic effect. You know, like uh, somebody hiding backstage and the big reveal. And Saul, Saul wanted to make a big, big deal about it where he's like, okay, where's this guy? Well, he's not here. Let's bring him out, you know. So... It, it could be possible. I, I might be reading into it a little bit much, but that's okay. We're allowed to do that sometimes. So the end of the chapter is interesting too, and I don't have the verses to display, but just want to touch on that. So the people said, long live the king, right? So after this, everybody's like, okay, we went through the process. Saul's, Saul's going to be our leader. And so everybody goes back to their home. But Saul went home to Gibeah and... Uh, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? And they despised him and brought him no gifts. There's all, haters going to hate, right? Like, there's always going to be people that are not going to like you. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody likes me. Sometimes I try to make everybody like me because uh, it's a pride thing, right? But... If you're not taking a stand on something, then maybe everybody will like you. But once you start putting yourself out there and really becoming ingrained in what you believe and standing for it, there's always somebody that's standing against it. Anything you stand for, there's somebody to stand against. It's just there's always an opposing side. You can't get away from that, right? But I, I just wanted to touch on the part that it talked about. He, God had touched the hearts of men around him and kind of sent him home. So he... He touched the hearts of these men to kind of become, become Saul's guard, his garrison, his, peop, his, uh, his go-to guys. And uh, it just makes me think of like a community of church, of people around us. God surrounds us with support. He didn't leave Saul, this one guy, and that's, okay, you've got to figure it out and you've got to be king. No, he, he raised up valiant men. It says valiant men around him. And uh, these strong, valiant men. So he, Saul had support. Act one is done. Act two, a kingdom is established. So we're going to move into 1 Samuel 11. Saul is going to see his first test here, okay? This is, he's now, he's now the interim king, I'm going to call him. He's, he's just starting. He's kind of in a probationary period. Is this going to work out, right? So in uh, chapter 11, Nahash the Ammonite went and besieged Jabesh Gilead. That's a town. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. So Nahash the Ammonite is this ruthless dude. 
And you're going to see why. Nahash said to the people, I will make a treaty with you on one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you so to bring disgrace on Israel. That's, yeah. I'd be rethinking the treaty. So the elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days. Okay, stalling tactics, I like it. So we can send messengers through Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they wept aloud. And just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, what is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? And then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh said. So he's getting informed here, right? When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of, the, the Spirit of God came upon him in power. This is the second occurrence of that, the Spirit of God rushing over Saul. Other versions said, I think it's ESV, said it rushed over Saul. I like that a little better. Kind of just like, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I like it. So uh, when he heard these words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. I, I totally get that. He burned with anger. Somebody's threatening his family, his people, they're going to gouge their eyes out unless they, well, not, not unless anything. That's the treaty. That's the deal. We will make a treaty with you if you gouge your eyes out. If not, you're probably going to be destroyed. That's the alternative. So Saul's like, they ain't threatening my family. So he took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers out to Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And then the terror of the Lord fell on the people. You receive some flesh in the mail, it's probably going to disturb you. <laughs> and they turned out as one man. So the whole nation came together. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000. 300,000. That's a lot. That's, a, that's, a, that's an army. <laughs> They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. So, help's coming, guys. When the messengers went and reported it to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. And they said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you. That's, that's a good tactic. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll surrender tomorrow. And they knew, okay, Calvary's coming. So, so that's good. And uh, the next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp and the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered. No two of them were left together. The Spirit of the Lord rushes over Saul. Man, this guy's looking good. Hey? New king, first test, God's with them call to arms. Although there's one part in there where it's like when he sends out the pieces it's, he's, uh, he's saying that uh, anybody who doesn't fall Saul and Samuel. It's almost like he's still got that crutch there. He's still relying on Samuel. Samuel hasn't fully left the scene yet. He, his name doesn't quite stand on its own yet. You can't call to arms just under his own name. He's still got those naysayers, right? But after this battle it says um, at the end, it continues on, the people then so they won. They saved the people. The people then said to Samuel, was it that asked, who was it that asked that Saul shall, shall Saul reign over us and bring these men to us so we can put them to death? You know, that's, that's some uh, mob justice right there. But Saul said, no one shall put, be put to death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. Wow. Good on you, Saul. Don't kill the haters. 
Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal, and we'll reaffirm this kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. And they sacrificed the fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. He's confirmed. He's in. This is the guy that was chosen. And now the people are fully on board. You know, he's the people's king. The people love him. Awesome. We got what we wanted. No problems, right? Well, there is one matter of business that God needs to take care of first. And he, he, uh, I, yeah, for time's sake, I'm not going to display 1 Samuel 12, Don. But I'm just going to say that this chapter is all about the, the transition of power. Samuel talks about how he, uh, what the history of Israel is. And now, now they're in good hands with Saul. They've asked for a king, and they got it. But there is one little matter that evil can't go unpunished. And asking for a king is evil. So God sends the thunder and the rain, and the people get all scared and say, Oh, you know, Samuel, pray for us. Help us, God, protect us. Um, because you know, we're, we're scared. God's going to kill us for being evil. But Samuel says, No. That's not what's going to happen. Yes, you were evil to ask for something, but... God can still work with that. But you need to obey, and your king needs to obey. Okay? So they were spared that day. You know, had some thunder, rain, and a big fright. But God still promised to protect his people. Do you know why he protected them? For his namesake, it says. For God's namesake, for his glory. At the end of the day, that's what the people need to condition their hearts to think about. They ask for things for themselves, but... We need to think about how we're asking for things in God's namesake. Now we're going to get into the sad part of the story. Saul, I call this act, the mighty will fall. Not because it rhymes with Saul. So 1 Samuel 13. Samuel rebukes Saul. It says in verse 1 that Saul was 30 years old when he became king. So that's kind of an interesting fact. Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. So 30 might be a a formative year for some people, right? So anyways, there's another battle. Saul has a lot of battles. He's at war with the Philistines. He's fighting for God's people. It's a tumultuous time. Let me just kind of paint the picture here for you. Uh, It starts in verse 4. 1 Samuel 13, verse 4. Uh, So all Israel heard the news. Saul attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. Let's get rid of these people. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. So that's two people in a chariot. And soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore. That's going to put the fear in you, I think. They went up and camped at Michmash. Uh, east of Beth Avon, when the men of Israel saw that their saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves in the thickets among the rocks in the pits and the cisterns, and some even crossed the Jordan in the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and the troops with him were quaking in fear. Yeah, thousands of people that are going to kill you. 
He waited seven days. By the time he waited seven days, the time is set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, "Bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings." And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. And Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, said Samuel. You have not kept the command of the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. And the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, appointed him leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left and went up to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul counted the men that were with him. They numbered about 600. That's harsh. That's rough. You know, everything was going really good. Saul was doing what he was instructed to. Samuel didn't show up in the time he said, I got to do something. That's what he's saying to himself, right? But it was a mistake. He overstepped. And if we know about Old Testament law is that a priest has to make the offering. But that's not what Saul thinks. Saul thinks he's, I got to do something. I'm a man of action. I make things happen. God's going to fight my battle because I'm going to do what I need to do to invoke him to come here. You think maybe he should have asked if that was a good idea or consulted somebody on that? Do we think that we, when we have a critical moment, that we can just invoke the power of God? God, I need you. Come work in my life now. People are scattering. It's all going to be over soon unless something happens now. Is that how it works? We don't have to suffer. We can just invoke God when the times get tough, right? That's what Saul seemed to think. But that's not how God runs his kingdom. That's how people run their kingdoms. It's actually not a bad tactic for business. You know, I work in distribution and trucking industry. The truck ain't here to pick something up. We need to call somebody else. We need to do something now. Sometimes you burn a bridge that way or something or... Make somebody mad, but I don't care. I'm getting the job done. Well, be careful who you offend. If you're trying to get something now, don't offend God. Get, getting it done now. And the excuses. Man, I hate excuses. Like, right here. Saul says, well, you know what? When I saw the men were scattering, and you didn't come, uh, and the Philistines were coming down against me, I had to seek God's favor. I had to do something. Yeah, I was late. I, I, you know, I forgot. I did. We all do excuses. Though. I say I hate excuses, but I still have them, right? But you know, excuses always come after the fact, usually. You know, sometimes people think up, I got to think of a good excuse. But you know what? If it says there that Samuel came right when Saul was finishing, too. If, if Samuel came a day later, he might not even know what happened. Saul wouldn't have had to say nothing, but he got caught. That's what slimy people say. Don't get caught. But yeah, Saul didn't consult anybody for clarification, right? So we're starting to see a little glimpse into his character. 
The next chapter, I don't, I'm not going to display it, but in 1 Samuel 14, it talks about a vow that Saul had. So that was one character flaw. God's ripping the kingdom out of his hands already. So Saul's already on the outs. He's not on the outs, outs, but he's, it's not going to be his lineage that carries on Israel, right? Next, he has a little, uh, little bit of a snit, I would say. In uh, 1 Samuel 14, verse 24, it says, Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged on myself on my enemies. So none of the troops eat, ate food. And uh, that might seem like a little thing, but, you know, the battle, he's, he's fighting these battles for God and for God's people, and he's making these rash, this rash vow. And it says, it's interesting, the wording. Cursed be anyone who eats food before I have my victory on my enemies. Is it his enemies? He thinks so. This is all of a sudden this quest to lead God's people has become Saul's vanity project. I'm king, I'm the big man. Ain't nobody eating until those Philistines are dead. And I have my victory. I actually came back to bite him. We can't get into it too much, but uh, somebody didn't hear the vow. His son Jonathan ate something, ate some honey. Saul was willing to kill him over it. Until the people stepped in and thought so highly of Jonathan because he was a great warrior. Just won a great victory. But Saul was so committed, I have to be a man of integrity. I got to stick to my vows. And God, he actually says, God help me if you don't die today, Jonathan. Man. I'm starting to not like Saul. So now, take a few more minutes of your time. I know it's 12 o'clock, but let's bring it to the crux of the matter about our responses to what happens when hard times. Saul was a good guy. And by, you can't really take God out of the equation, but just think for a minute. If he wasn't trying to serve God, if he was just a king, he was probably a pretty good king overall. He was leading battles. He was taking care of his people. But you can't take God out of the equation because that's who appointed him. And here's where it all goes wrong. Chapter 15, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over the people of Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them and came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy them and everything that belongs to them and do not spare them. Put them to death. Men, women, and children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Wipe them out, says the Lord. That's a little hard to hear. But if you know who the Amalekites were, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, the Amalekites were a neighboring nation, and these guys were brutal. They would come up behind Israel and murder them and their women and children and dwindle them down, attack them at night. This was justice. And we're not to question the Lord for justice. But Saul has his instructions. But it's not even those instructions that Saul has trouble It's not wiping them out that Saul has trouble with. It's the vain part. And uh, 
just to paraphrase, Saul gets the job 90% done. He kills the Amalekites, but he spares the king. And then that part where he's supposed to kill all the donkeys and cattle and sheep, well, he did some of that, but he kept the good ones. You know, spoils of war for the people because he wants to keep the people happy. He doesn't want to keep God happy. If he wanted to keep God happy, he would have did what he was told. He didn't do what he was told. He didn't ask, hey, you know what? That's a really good idea. We should wipe out those Amalekites, but you think maybe we could spare the sheep? He didn't ask that to Samuel. He just thought it'd be a good idea. How often do we think, oh, I'm sure this will be fine. It's basically the same thing. I won't run it by anybody. I'm sure it'll be fine. That ever come back to bite anybody? It has me. So, and this is the crux of the matter where he spared those sheep and, and they had this big exchange. And uh, Saul, uh, Samuel, God comes to Samuel and tells him, you know what, I regret that I've made Saul king. I regret. And regret, another word, repent. I turn back from. I reject. God rejected Saul as king. This is over. I can't work with this guy. God wants to work in you, but you got to work with him. You got to want what he wants. If you don't want that, then that's your choice. But you better temper your expectations of what God is going to do with you. Right? Seek after God to see what he wants to do in your life. But once you start going out your own way for so long, you can't work with that. You need to be open to him. So they have this exchange and the excuses come out again. Um, Sam, Samuel said, uh, he reached and Saul, and he said, Lord bless you. Uh, so, oh yeah, Samuel reached Saul and Saul's like, oh, you see Samuel, bless you. I, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. And then Samuel's like, well, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? This is verse 14. And the lowing of cattle, the soldiers brought from the Amalekites. And Saul said, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of them. Um, so we'll sacrifice to the Lord your God. Not the Lord my God. He, you notice he never really claims God to be his own. Everything's through Samuel. Everything's through this mediator. Oh, yes. Yeah, we'll please your God, right? It's not what God told him to do. Samuel gets fed up. Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And then he says, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of Israel? The Lord anointed you king, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why didn't you obey? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil? You know, you can't have your cake and eat it too, the type of thing, right? But Saul says, I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, but I brought back their king. And the soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder. He still thinks he's done right. He's making excuses. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings as much as obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice, and heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you. If you don't want to live for God, that's your choice. But don't expect 
Don't expect him to honor you if you're not honoring him. But Saul wants it all. And he says, the exchange goes on. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says, you know, I, I messed up. I sinned. I realized that, Samuel. But still, I've got a people to lead, so will you bless me in front of the elders? <laughs> he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He was appointed by God. He's serving God, called up, but he's a king of the people. The influence, the culture, the people, that's all, that's all he has on his mind. Yeah, I messed up. I messed up. I messed up. But honor me in front of the elders so I still look like the king. At the end of the day, Samuel um, says, you know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll go pray together, Saul, but I told you what I told you. God has rejected you. And as Samuel turns away, Saul grabs his robe and it rips off a piece. And he says, uh, just like this, the hem of my gown has been ripped, so God has ripped the kingdom from you. Saul grasping out, trying to hold on to what he thinks is his, and it's being ripped away from him. That ripped away is kind of a, a strong, uh, strong analogy for sure. So how the mighty have fallen, right? <laughs> Saul wanted to fix, but he didn't get it. Could you put up uh, the uh, Romans 12 verses? You know, Saul's place in history, unfortunately, was, was cemented then and there. We're going to learn a little bit about Saul as we talk about David. But you're not going to see that same Saul that we talked about before. You know, he was a, a relatable guy, a lot of good qualities, tall, handsome, practical. People loved him. But he was missing that one thing, that heart of God. And all the responses to the real hard times when he had to do things that didn't make sense up here. You know, why am I killing all these good sheep? Why can't we just keep it? Why can't I do the burnt offering? You know, sit and wait upon the Lord. Romans 12:1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The renewing of your mind. Be transformed. You know, Saul had some great experiences, those big wow moments. The Spirit of the Lord is with me. You know, I won some battles and he did some great things. And, but he didn't transform his heart, you know. God will transform your heart. But it's not this magic that you invoke. It's this inner culture that you live out. You know, I, I, I was kind of interested. Saul is talked about in 1 Samuel and then kind of you don't see a whole lot of them. And there's, only, there's one, only one of the real significant Saul in the Bible. It's not a name that really gets used a lot, but it's Saul of Tarsus. You probably know him better as the Apostle Paul. And he had a name switch there. And uh, it doesn't really say why he switched his name. A lot of, uh, a lot of the, I, I read a little bit about it. and they, they said after he had his conversion on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, um, 
he began his ministry kind of a, a chapter later. It's in, you can find it in Acts. And in Acts 13, there's this quick swap of his name after when he's about to really go into his ministry. And then it says Saul, who was also called Paul. So in the day, you kind of have names, almost like a middle name, or you'd have a, a Roman name and a Hebrew name. So he went by his Roman name. So people thought, you know, he's going to go preach to the Gentiles. He would use his Roman name. It makes good sense, right? You know, I think Saul kind of, Saul of Tarsus or Paul, where the Old Testament Saul didn't get it. Saul, Paul, did get it. And when he had that conversion on the road to Damascus and he saw Jesus, that was a big moment for him. God leveled him. But what did he do with that? He became the greatest apostle to preach to the Gentile church, right? His response was for the glory of God. Powerful. King Saul is only mentioned once in the whole New Testament. Once. You know, when you don't follow God, you're not going to make it in the rest of his book. You know? Why would they mention Saul other than a cautionary tale? But I thought it was interesting. King Saul was only mentioned once. And it's actually mentioned in the exact same chapter in Acts 13 when Saul of Tarsus switched his name to Paul. Coincidence? It doesn't really kind of put the two together thematically, but the fact that they are together is kind of funny. Check it out in Acts 13. I, I did a keyword search on like Bible Gateway to make sure. You know, Saul, King Saul is never mentioned again. Because we already learned what we had to from Saul. You know, in Hebrew culture, Saul is that guy who started great and then, oh man, don't become that guy because he didn't follow God. But you know, a lot of the times we are that guy. But we need to be transformed. The renewing of our mind. And Saul of Tarsus, when he became transformed, the name Saul means desired or asked for. And the name Paul means small. Or little. I think he wanted an identity change. You know? He knew that if he's serving God, he can't be the big man. And he can't be desired after. God needs to be desired after. What's a good way to do that? Change your identity. Paul, little, small, humble. He got it. He understood. He didn't... He, maybe he was named after King Saul. There's not a whole lot of guys named, named Saul. Like I said, it's only in the Bible. It's only in the New Testament once, one reference to King Saul, right? So, but he didn't want to be identified with that. He was being identified with Christ. And in order to do that, you need to be humble. So regardless of the reason he changed his name, I think it's significant that that change happened and it means what it means. Are we ready to stop exalting ourselves? Are we ready to be small and little? Are we ready to respond to situations that come to us with grace and waiting? Be a man of action, but think about it. What's the motivations that you're doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for your glory, for the glory of others? Or for the glory of God. You can live however you want to live. You can live to please your family. You can live to please others. You can live to please God. And sometimes that's not all mutually exclusive. But figure out what and who you're living for. Be transformed. Renew your minds.
God will do the work if you put yourself in the field, right? Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all of the, uh, the fathers today, Lord. Thank you for you that you are the greatest father, the one true fatherly example. There's not a lot of great fathers in the Bible, Lord, but we are so blessed that we can look to you as our father. Lord, thank you for this world that you put us in. And thank you that you give us opportunities. God, you create opportunities for us, but our response is so critical and so showing of our character, Lord. I just pray that we check ourselves and that we understand ourselves so we can understand you, God. That we can look at what motivates us, what we want to be. Do we want to be desired? Do we want to please people? Or do we want to please God and take, and take a, a step towards living with an eternal mindset, Lord. Pleasing you and, and loving the way that you call us to love, Lord. Let us ruminate and dwell on that. And, and uh, as we go back out, live our lives and have our paths, Lord, let our paths converge with your path. And when our, those critical decisions, those opportunities come, Lord, make our hearts still that we can wait upon the Lord and know what you want for us. Lord, we thank you and we bless you, God, and praise you. Amen.